You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Welcome to Kensington Church. We're so glad you're here with us today. If we haven't met yet, I'm Taylor Leal, the K-Kids Early Childhood Director at our Troy campus. On behalf of all of us here at Kensington, we feel honored that you have chosen to spend time with us, and we hope you'll also consider joining us for these upcoming events. The first is for our middle school students. This annual all-nighter is the highlight of the year for our breakaway students. We call it Takeover, as we bring middle school students together from all of our campuses for a special service followed by fun and food all night long. When you're my age, staying up all night seems like a lot of work. But let me tell you, these sixth, seventh, and eighth graders love the challenge, especially when they're having a blast with their friends at Legacy 925, which offers a trampoline park, arcade, bowling, go-karts, laser tag, and fried food. This all-nighter is happening Saturday, March 5th until Sunday morning, March 6th. Invite friends and sign up now at kensingtonchurch.org takeover or on the Kensington Church app. I'd also like to extend an invitation to the women of our community. The IF Gathering is coming up March 4th and 5th. The IF Gathering is a powerful worldwide two-day event that includes incredible speakers, worship, and discussion. Last year, more than a million women participated, and this year they plan for even more. You don't want to miss this world-changing, God-honoring, heart-transforming weekend. At Kensington, we're offering a hybrid event so you can watch from home on Friday evening and then join in person with us at one of our campuses on Saturday to experience it together. Ladies, I want you there. It is time to go deeper and to remember that God is bigger than the darkness. Mark your calendars or set a reminder for March 4th and 5th and expect God to show up in a big way. Details and registration will be coming soon. Let's return now to our service. I'm excited to continue our series, The Power of a Story, as we listen to the life lessons woven into the stories Jesus told. Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris. We are so glad that you're here today. If you're here in person or you're online watching, we are decided, we're glad that you decided to spend some time with us today. And we're going to sing this morning. We're going to sing a song about, you know, a God who loves us. And it doesn't matter what happened this week, this month, this past year. All that matters is that you're here now and you're in this place where you are. And that's, God loves us right where we are and just as we are. So I want to invite you to stand and sing with us as we get started this morning.
Hey, good morning, Kensington. You guys can all have a seat, but you guys doing well? Good stuff. Hey, happy Sunday, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Andrew Kim, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Troy campus. And I want to, for all of us here in the room, I want to say welcome. For those of you who are joining us via stream, I want to say welcome whatever campus that you are a part of. So glad that we can be connected in this manner today. And I'm so incredibly grateful for you all. And so today, there's so many things that are going on today that I want to let you know about and really as we look into the future. But something that February is, is that February is Black History Month. And if you are not a part of our Troy Campus Facebook group, I want to invite you to jump into that group. Just look us up on Facebook and you will find us uh, there. But all throughout the month of February, we are going to be posting stories and resources so us as a community can really dive deeper into Black history and also celebrate black history in so many ways. And so this is one of the journeys that we want to go on together as a community. And so we would love for you, if you haven't already, to follow us and to be a part of that group. 
Also, this coming Wednesday, we have something called Midweek that is happening. And if you're not familiar with Midweek, it is our Wednesday evening service that happens on the second Wednesday of every month. And it happens in this room at seven o'clock. And so whether it's here in person or whether you're gonna be joining us via stream, whatever works for you, we'd love for you to join us because it is going to be a worship night. And so there's gonna be a lot of incredible music and we as a community are gonna be able to come together and also be able to worship God through song. And so we would love for you to be a part of that this Wednesday evening. And so today we are in the second week of our series, The Power of a Story. And one of the ways that we rolled out last week, but we also want to tell you this week that we can interact with the theme of the weekend during the week is through opting in to uh, receiving texts during the week. And trust me, we will not blow up your phones if you choose to jump into this. You're not gonna be receiving 10 or 20 texts from us during the week, but you're gonna be receiving a handful of very strategic texts and they are reflections and thoughts. They may be written prayers, song suggestions that we can really interact with uh, just about what we're talking about on the weekend. And so if you would like to do this, there are more than 1,300 people all across our Kensington campuses who opted in. But, a, but you can do it just by looking at the side screens and by texting the word story. And so you can do that right now. Take a picture of the screen or you can just take out your phone right now and jump in as well and just text the word story to 248-781-2757. And we would love for you to be a part of it because our discipleship team has put together some extraordinary resources for us to share. Also, something that we want to also give a heads up for all of you parents in the room and parents who are watching via stream is that later on in this service, we're going to be showing a video story and it's going to come towards the end of the message. But because of the mature nature of that story, we want we actually put a PG-13 label on that. And so just to give all of you parents a heads up, when that video story comes about, if you want to exit the room and take your kids out into the lobby, whatever device you're on, if you're streaming, you can just hit mute, whatever works for you. But we wanted to give you a heads up that that is coming on later on in the service. But also the last thing that I want to mention is that um, we want to invite you to stick around for the entire service. I know for some of us, after the message, we tend to leave or we might tend to sort of hit stop or turn off our device. We want to invite you to stick around for the entire service because at the end of this service, we have a very, very important communication that we want to convey to us as a community. And if you are a part of this community, you call this community home, I want to invite you to stick around for that. And so on that note, as we continue on, Danny's gonna be up here in a little bit to lead us in the thought of the day. But on that note, I also wanna invite you, let's stand up, let's say hello to the people around us, give them a wave, fist bump, whatever works for you. Well, good morning, everyone. You're not quite as good as last service. Good morning. All right, that's just about it. Good morning to everyone here in the room, everyone joining on stream. We're so grateful that you're here. My name is Danny. If we haven't met before, if you're brand new here, it's, uh, we're so grateful that you're here. And this is a good day to be here. Uh, we're really gonna dive in uh, pretty quickly too to a very intense topic in the second week of this service that we're calling a power of a story. Let me ask you something. Do you think stories are powerful? Do you love stories? 
There's a reason why they're powerful. And, and, and the most powerful stories are the stories that we can see ourselves in, that we have some commonality in. And today we're gonna step into a story that Jesus is gonna teach us, but I think it's a story that really holds a deep truth. I personally think it holds what I would call the fountain of life. And so as we move into this story, I hope that your story connects with this story and that by the end of today, we're so much different than when we walked in. Years ago, probably 20 years ago nearly, I took a job and I was working for some particular person and I was really excited about it. And for the first two or three years, it was beautiful. But every person has flaws, including me and you and everyone else and especially leaders. And so we always have these little things that happen. And there was just a few difficult moments that happened that, that were hurtful. Maybe you've experienced these in your life. They were like paper cuts almost, like those kind of stings that happened. And uh, some of the people on the team kind of felt it from this particular person. And then as the years went on, and those paper cuts became deeper cuts. They became deeper wounds. There was more difficulty and there was some chaos and there was some hurt. And we, and we tried to step into some of it and some of it got resolved, but some of it didn't. And I noticed something. I noticed that I started to harbor feelings about this person. I started to hold them in to my heart. It turned into kind of a, a hurt, but also like a bitterness and anger that I held inside. And I knew it wasn't good, but I was holding it against this person, this person that I trusted, but now I'm starting to not trust as much. It got so bad to a certain point that I had to move away from that person and move to a different uh, department. And so I did that and I thought that if I put distance between myself and the person, that those feelings that I had would sort of dissipate. But what I come to find out was they didn't disappear. And that God had something in that that he needed to show me. How many of you relate to something like that? How, well, you, you just raised your hand. This, if you raise your hand and it's the person next to you, don't tell them. But, but listen, all of us, if we've lived long enough, here's what we know. If we live long enough, we know one, that we're all gonna have hurt. That we're gonna be wounded or hurt by the people around us. Sometimes the people we love the most, our parents or our siblings, parents or coaches rather, or people that are teachers or pastors or priests or leaders, we're all gonna feel that. And today, what I'm hoping is going to happen is that we're gonna to start to realize that God wants to take that and that kind of bitterness and he wants to work through it with each one of us, not only individually, but collectively. And here's what I really believe. I believe that when we enter into that, what we're gonna talk about today is one of the most valuable things that you can ever attain, more valuable than anything you could ever achieve or find on this earth. Are you intrigued? I hope you're intrigued because I really do believe it's one of the great answers of our life. And so we're in this second week. We're calling the power story. And today we're gonna move into another parable. A parable in the Hebrew culture, many times they call it a mashal, a parable, a story. A parable is simply a story that has a deep spiritual truth or a moral truth embedded within it. And in the rabbinic culture or the rabbi culture of that time, the, the, the spiritual teachers of those days, they would use this device. And Jesus was a master at parables, actually. And they're very difficult to create and they're very difficult to actually deliver. But Jesus was a master. A friend of mine said years ago that Jesus was such a great teacher, but he used two devices mainly. He would ask questions and he would tell stories. That was probably over 50% of his teaching. He knew the right questions and he knew how to tell stories. 
that would draw people in. And today, we're going to look at a story that's found in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're considered the Gospels. And they look at the life of Jesus as he was here on earth. And this particular parable is only found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of the most powerful parables that we have. And today, I'm hoping that as we step into that parable, this mashal, that we learn the lesson, which they would call the nimshal, the moral of the story. And that lesson today, I pray, will transform us and lead us in a way that has eternal value rooted in Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful community. Thank you for the privilege that we can gather here. And thank you, Lord, that you will lead us in your ways. Father, I would ask that we would actually submit to what Psalm 139 says to us, that you know all in us that is not of you, that you would search our hearts, that you would remove the things that are not of you and you would lead us in a way that is everlasting value. In particular, Lord, for the ones that have walked in this room today or listening on stream or hear my voice in the future, the ones that are harboring bitterness and hurt and it's in the very core in the depths of their being, Lord, would you start to work that out and would you set them free and set us free in the midst of it? We're, we're counting on that, Lord. We know you're going to work in those ways. And so we thank you in advance for all you're going to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name and we say, amen. Well, our arts team uh, did it again this week. Every week, they're going to have one of these whimsical little story ways of putting the parable into a sort of a picture book. And scripture says that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child. And these are like almost childlike sketches, but they move us into a deep truth. Let's take this in together and then we'll dive into the story of scripture. Long ago, there was a great kingdom that was ruled by a great king. One day, the king decided to settle all accounts with his servants until one servant was brought before him whose debt was too great to settle. The servant owed the king 10,000 bags of gold, and when he could not pay, the king ordered that everything most important to the servant, including his freedom, be taken away. In desperation, the servant cried out, Please be patient with me, and I promise I will pay back everything I owe you. The king paused. Moved by the servant's plight, he took pity on him. I have heard your plea, he said. Your debt has been canceled. You are free to go. The servant's steps were light as he made his way through the streets until he spotted a fellow servant across the market. The man owed him several silver coins. His eyes darkened and his anger grew into a rage. Running to the man, he grabbed him. Give me back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees. Please, be patient with me and I promise I will give back what I owe you. But in his fury, the servant refused and went to the authorities. He had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. The next day, the servant woke to a messenger from the king at his door. The king has ordered you to appear before him first thing this morning. The servant wondered what it could be about. The servant made his way to the castle, and upon entering the court, the king turned and addressed him directly. You wicked servant! Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The servant's stomach dropped. Your Highness, he said, if I can explain. But the king raised his hand to silence him. You will spend every day in prison until your debt has been paid, the king ordered. The servant began to beg the king to reconsider, but the king had heard enough. May we all receive kindness in the measure we give it, he said. And with that, the servant was led away from the room 
never to be seen again. I love those little storybook ideas. Thank you, Tom Mahar and Mike uh, Nelson and the whole team for doing that. It really points us to the very core of what we're gonna talk about today. That parable is seen as the parable of the unforgiving servant. So today we're talking about one word, forgiveness. Say forgiveness. forgiveness. We're gonna talk about forgiveness. And forgiveness, when we talk about forgiveness, can open up a lot in our hearts. And what I'm hoping will happen today is it'll open up and then we'll meet God in the midst of that and he'll lead us in a different way. We're gonna jump right in to Matthew 18 and we're gonna find out. Now, in, in these mashals, in these parables, uh, they're broken up into different sections. And I kind of see this one broken up into five sections. There's this first section, this first kind of movement where the, an, a question is posed and it opens up. And then the second one is when Jesus goes into the actual parable and there's three parts to that parable. And then there's what they call the nimshal at the end, the moral of the story, the little nugget that Jesus wants us to take home with us. And so let's jump in to the first section. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked him this, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me, who wounds me, who hurts me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, that word's a big word there. Therefore, what is it, what Jesus saying? Because of the question you asked me and the because of the answer I gave, therefore, there's something that you need to know. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, say that phrase on the count of three, one, two, three. The kingdom of heaven is like, hold on to that phrase. Because Jesus now is giving us a nugget saying, this is what I want you to know today. There's a kingdom of this world, but there's also a kingdom of heaven. And this story is going to point us to that. And that's what we want to pay attention to. This story is going to be rooted in these principles of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now, who's asking Jesus the question? It's Peter. Who's Peter? Peter was one of Jesus' very inner circle. In fact, he was the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Peter was probably the oldest of all the disciples, and he was probably the closest to Jesus. In fact, Jesus would uh, really hand off a lot of the leadership to Peter. And Jesus had 12 main disciples, but he had hundreds of disciples of men and women and children. But this was a close circle. And Peter is close to Jesus and he's coming to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Now, here's what I think is happening in this moment. I think that Peter intellectually wants Jesus to give him the law. Tell me what my minimum requirement is, Jesus. How many times do I actually have to forgive someone who wounds me? Now, the number seven is significant. Because the number seven in that culture was seen as a perfect numeral. It was also seen to represent completeness or wholeness. It also, the number seven is interesting because when he says seven, there was, he's pushing back on a cultural norm of that day. Many of the spiritual teachers of that day would say that you only have to forgive someone up to three times and then you can lose hope on them. I wish that was true, wasn't it? <laughs> Ah, three, three strikes and you're out, you know? And what's Peter doing? He's coming to Jesus and he's saying, listen, I know that teaching. So is it seven? Is it the perfect numeral? I'll take three and I'll double it and I'll add one. Isn't that the answer? In essence, he's saying, listen, Jesus, would you just tell me intellectually the very bare minimum I need to do to make God happy with me when it comes to forgiving another human being? And Jesus says to him, that's seven. 77, 
Some scriptures say seven times 70, so it's 490. Is it 77? Is it 490? Why is it that way sometimes in scripture? Well, in this particular case, it's because the Hebrew language defined it one way and the Greek language defined it another way, but the numerals don't matter. What Jesus is saying to him is, you're missing the point. It's way more than you would ever think. He starts to lead them in a different way. He starts to lead them in the principles of the kingdom of God. Now, some say that Jesus is pointing to a scripture found in the very first book of the Bible, which is Genesis. Genesis 4.24 says, uh, starts talking about revenge, getting revenge, having a life of vengeance. And it says, Can I have it? should I have it seven times? No, 77 times. Here's what's interesting about what Jesus is doing. He's pitting the principles of the world, which is based on revenge and getting what you want and those kinds of things, to now the kingdom of God. And they would know this in this context. Why? Because they memorized most of the scripture. So they knew Jesus was hinting. Oh, you, I, know that, I know that 77. Where do I know that from? Oh, when it talks about me getting revenge. And Jesus is like, it's not about revenge in the kingdom of God. It's about forgiveness. And it's not just about 77 times or 490. It's about so much more than you could ever imagine. And this sets the table. That's act one. Then it moves in to the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master of the king ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees and begged for his life. He said, be patient with me. He begged, I'll pay back everything. And it said the servant, the master, the king did something interesting. When I read this, I always try to, to, to say, what would this be like? It, it, it would be someone standing in front of you and begging for your life. And I can imagine this, this king looking down and looking in their eyes. And it says in scripture that in that moment, the king had pity on this person, had pity on him. And what did he do? He canceled the debt. And you let him go. Here's what I want you to see in this story. The king in this story holds all power. All power, all privilege, all authority. He can do whatever he wants in this moment. And here is the servant. Now, we don't know what the servant is. We really don't understand who he is exactly. He could have been working for the king. He could have been a slave. He could have been a tax He could have owned a business. We don't know. But what we know is he owes an extraordinary amount and the one that has all the power is over this person. And he owes him, it says, 10,000 bags of gold. Do you realize how much that is? In this story, Jesus is having fun with the amount. That amount is extraordinary. It's hyperbole. It's so wildly exaggerated because it was worth 70 to 100 million days wages. No one in that town could have had that kind of money. In fact, it was more money than some of the petty kingdoms in Jesus' day. He didn't have that kind of money. In our day, we're worth anywhere from 20 million to a $1 billion. And so the audience would know that. And even the idea that this king is gonna sell the family and all he owns, that wouldn't even make a dent in this debt. And the people that are listening to this story, they know that. And what's the servant's response? The servant begs for his life. Goes down and just begs for his life. And he says, be patient, I'll pay it back. Here's the other part of this story that's interesting. They would laugh at that line. There was humor that Jesus would add in here because everyone knew he couldn't pay that back. 
But yet it's said that the king had compassion. In that word, that word pity in this particular scripture, it means from the bowels. That's what compassion means. It's kind of a gross, uh, gross term, but it means it comes from the very guttural, the very, very, very depths of a heart in a human being. And it grew up in this king and he handed, now I want to remind you, the one with all the power and authority and influence is over the powerless one. And in this minute, he actually loves and shows compassion to the one that has no power. In this honor-shame culture that they would have taken place in, the people listening would have realized something profound. By releasing him of this debt and by having that amount of compassion as a powerful king, he was now actually setting him free, not only personally, but he was restoring the honor of his whole family and his whole community. He'd be able to go out and be fully restored. Can you imagine the feeling that he, when he rose to his feet, knowing what just happened, that all of that debt is gone? what that would feel like to him. Let me ask you, have you ever had something like that happen in your life? Have you ever had someone give you something you didn't deserve, show you so much compassion? Now, I don't know how many of you have 12 to a billion dollars in this room. If you do, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. I got a lot of projects I wanna work on. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you have 10,000 bags of gold, but has there been moments in your relationship that has happened? Maybe a husband and wife. Maybe one of you have had an affair or done something nefarious in your relationship, and it came out into the light, and your partner and your person showed you profound compassion and walked through that with you. And my story, I've told it up here before, it's been a number of things. My wife's here, my kids are here. Uh, if you want a whole list of things I've done, just ask them. You know, they'll give you a big long list. It'll actually be like one of those scrolls, like, and it'll roll out, right? But there was a time years and years ago where I racked up tens of thousands of dollars without telling my wife on a card. Put us in debt for years. And my wife showed me compassion and walked with me. Did it change my life? Profoundly changed my life. The way Amy responded. And so I would imagine that when this servant rose to his feet and was given this incredible gift, wouldn't you imagine that his heart would be changed forever? That he'd walk out of the king's chambers and he would go out and share the good news. Here's what his response was. He said, but when the servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged for his life. He said, be patient with me. I will pay everything back. But what did he do? He refused and he took this man and he put him in prison until he could pay off all the debt. We don't know who the fellow servant is. More than likely, he was there paying his homage to the king as well. Maybe he gave him all his wealth he had. And now all of a sudden, the one that's been forgiven of everything has come out. And he's choking him for what? A hundred days wages. Now, a hundred days wages was actually significant. But compared to what this one was just forgiven of, it's microscopic. In fact, it's one six hundred thousandth. <laughs> that's how much it is. It's micro compared. But yet, this one that was forgiven everything goes out. And through violence and through his own lording over of power, grabs this person and threatens him. And what does the servant do? He begs for his life. You know what's so fascinating about this story? Wouldn't you think that when he looked down at the person begging for his life, wouldn't we have a memory? He's like, I was just there. I was just begging for my own life. Wouldn't that snap him out of this moment? But it doesn't. The unforgiving servant, he shows no compassion. In fact, he's almost living out Genesis 4.24. 
He's exacting revenge. He's powering over. He's getting what is his. It is his rights and his stuff. And he's living that out. But God says what? The kingdom of God is like. Don't miss the story. And here, this one that's been forgiven so much, powers up over the one that really owes him so little. It says, when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. And they went and they told the master everything that had happened. Isn't that interesting? In our culture, so many times it takes a group of people to notice an injustice and call it out, doesn't it? We've seen that a lot in the last couple of years, haven't we? It takes a community of people to say, that's not right. And all of these fellow servants go to the king and they tell him. It says the king brings the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, the king handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he would pay back all that he owed. That word torture there in that culture would have shook the room. Knowing that he is going to be tortured forever because he can never pay back this. He's going to be in this perpetual state of torture. Now the question that the king asked is one I think that we all need to hold on to. It's incredibly important. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, if you say that Jesus is king of my life or I'm under the kingdom or the domain of God, don't miss this question. Some of you may not be there today and that's fine. That's, I'm grateful that you're here. You're hearing a powerful message today. But if you're a follower of Jesus, don't miss this question. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The very crux of the Christian faith is that Jesus will leave his heavenly home, come and live fully God, fully man, to give his life in a final sacrifice so that all who would believe would never perish but have eternal life. But he came so that all who would believe would have a way and an access for forgiveness of their sins. And this, this is pointing directly to that. Maybe I should say it to you maybe in these words. Shouldn't we... And when I say we, I'm talking right now to the followers of Jesus in the room. Shouldn't we have mercy on our fellow human beings just as God has shown mercy to us? I think that's a powerful question that we can't leave without holding in our hand. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we have profound mercy? If we believe that Jesus forgives us of our sins, then can we go out and forgive those who have wounded us? Then the nimshal, the... The, 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 the moment, the, the moral, the lesson, the, the thing that, that, that Jesus really wants to cement comes in verse 35. It says, this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Say from your heart. Where do we start in act one? In act one, we started here. Peter coming to Jesus saying, would you tell me what the knowledge I need the minimum requirement I need to do to make God happy with me when it comes to forgiving a human being. At the end of this five-part story, we end up and Jesus says, you have to forgive from the very depths of your heart. In that culture, it meant for the very bowels, <laughs> from the very core of who you are. Have you forgiven there? You've heard this said before, but the biggest distance we'll ever travel in this lifetime is from your head to your heart, this space. We can know about God, but we're not really knowing God. And God is always pointing his people to understand not a head knowledge of God, but the very core and the very heart of God. 
And in this story, the power behind this story is at the very core of Jesus, at the very core of a Christian faith, at the very life and the blood of the Christian faith is forgiveness. It's at the very heart. Do you see it? Do you feel that? God knows what is best for individuals and communities. And to power up on people in Genesis 4.24, to power up on people and use violence against others to extract what we need is not the ways of the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom is like. This will lead to bitterness, will lead to jealousy, will lead to anger, will lead to festering, will lead to hurt, will lead to division. He says, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. And I believe that Jesus is pegging people through his scripture to live that now, to let his kingdom come to this earth as it is in heaven, to live out these principles now. Why? Because it pushes back the ways of the world. It pushes back the hurt. When we see glimpses of the kingdom, it opens up a world that we're not used to seeing. And so I have four phrases that I want you to hold on to and put in your pocket and take home with you. You can take a picture of them when they're done at the end of these. I'm gonna share those with you and then we're gonna share a powerful story. Like Andrew said, it's been about 10 minutes or so, but we're gonna share this story. It is PG-13, uh, but it is powerful. And in fact, the woman that's sharing today is part of our community. She's here today. I'm so proud of her. Uh, it is an incredible story, but very intense. Um, but before we do that, we're gonna receive our offering. So if you've come to, to, to give and to take part in this uh, moment, beautiful. If you're brand new here, you can take part if you'd like. Um, but the, I wanna tell you, the reason that we invest, Amy and I have given electronically for years now, uh, we just really want to be part of investing some of our finances back into a community that fights for the very core of the heart of Christ. And so uh, this, if you're new and you don't know, we have, and it's not just here in this local seven campus uh, area in Michigan, but we have a number of church plants around the United States, almost 90 of them. And then we also have uh, 11 global partners in 10 countries around the world. So we really do believe in investing in this. So thank you. This, this community has been insanely generous over the over two decades I've been here, but thank you for that. And here's the ways we give. You can text Kenzie, the word Kensington to 77977. Uh, you can download our app. Uh, you can go to our website. Uh, when you leave here, there's some boxes back there if you'd like to take part. But thank you so much for your generosity. Four thoughts on forgiveness that hit me this week as I worked through this parable. First thought is this. Forgiveness is the oxygen of the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is the oxygen of the kingdom of God. Of God, you know oxygen. Well, you don't really know it, but if it wasn't here, we wouldn't be here. It's the thing that gives us life. So I told you I had this bitterness in me about this person and I moved away from it, but it was still there. Years later, I started processing with a friend of mine and he could see that bitterness at times come out in my life. And so he challenged me. He came to me and said, hey, something's not right in your heart, man. You have this thing and when I'm around you sometimes, I can see it come out. This is bitterness, this thing. So we started processing together and I told him a bit of all what I was feeling. And at one point he looked at me and he said, you're never gonna make it. If you don't address that, you're never gonna make it. And I kind of argued with him for a while, but after a while, man, it really rested heavy on me. We were having the conversation down this hallway over here. And I remember it was a Wednesday night. And I started walking down this hallway because my friend Jamie Winship was gonna teach here. And Jamie's a good friend of Kensington and my own. Uh, he and Donna are just doing incredible work in the kingdom around the country. And so he's here again to speak and I come down this hallway and I'm thinking about what my friend told me. And I walk down there and I sit over in this area where we always sit. 
And about 10 minutes, literally 10 minutes into what Jamie was talking about, he walks over here in the only the way Jamie can do. He stands right about here and he looks over in this section where I was at and he said, if you are a follower of Jesus and if you're under the rule and reign of God, I wanna explain something to you. Bitterness and unforgiveness do not exist in the kingdom of God. So if you have bitterness in your heart today and you have unforgiveness, I wanna let you know that they cannot exist, that they cannot exist under the rule and reign. And he said, because forgiveness is the oxygen of God's kingdom. And I'm not kidding you. I got on my phone and I texted my friend. I'm like, did you just hear what he just said? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not following Jesus. I'm, a big, you know, like, I'm not under the rule of reign of Jesus. I'm under the rule of reign of something else. I'm like, I don't, what is going on right now? And that moment actually pushed me into a direction that really started to work on what was starting to fester in my heart. And I made, not long after that, I made a few appointments to talk about this in a deeper way. Every time we reach a place of forgiveness in our very core, in our very heart, the kingdom of God breathes. The kingdom of God expands and grows here on earth. Now, we don't use kingdom language here very often. You know, we're used to having our own rights. And it's about our own individuality. It's our own rights. But think about a kingdom. A kingdom means that the king and the, and the one that lords over has all the power, all the authority. And so if you think of it in terms of Jesus and the kingdom of God, when you place your faith in Jesus, you come underneath the king. And scripture says the king of all kings. And when you come under there, guess what you do? You actually forfeit your rights. You're under the lordship or the kingdom, or the domain of God. And there are things about the kingdom that are not about the world because the kingdom is like this. Easiest way to say it maybe is the kingdom of God can be defined as every space and every place, every domain in which God rules in a super heart, in a community, and in the world. And when we live under the rule and reign of God and we extend that deep guttural compassion and forgiveness, especially to those that are undeserving and that are powerless, the kingdom of God expands because forgiveness is the oxygen of the kingdom. Second one is this. Forgiveness is not equal to reconciliation. Hear this, especially ones in here that have been hurt and wounded on a profound level. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation are two people willing and safely to come together and start to work through their stuff. There's been many times in my marriage and with my relationship with my children and with people in this community and on staff that you have to work through reconciliation and people are willing to come to the table and work through that, expressing their hurts. Sometimes that's impossible because it's unsafe or the person isn't here anymore because they passed away or the other person's not willing to be reconciled. But here's the hope in all of this. Through the power of God, you still can have forgiveness. You still can work through forgiveness because forgiveness can be a one-way street. Reconciliation has to have two people. A friend of mine who's probably watching online, he texted me last service, a friend of mine, Bill, he's one of my mentors. He's in some of his last uh, weeks or days. Uh, he's struggling with cancer. I love you, Bill. And it was great seeing you this week. You mean the world to me. But he told me an incredible story. He's, he, he's the one that... He's the one that, that, that hit me up in the aisle here and said, listen, have you worked through your stuff yet? And I was like, well, I don't even know you, you know? 
And he's like, yeah, you need to come with me. We need to do a step study together. I'm like, okay, I don't know who you are, but I'll do it, you know? And we become fast friends. But he told me a powerful story. Here's the story he said. He was, had unforgiveness and bitterness in his heart with his father for almost his whole life. His father passed away. He had this unrest. And there was this incredible moment that just happened not that long ago where he's working through everything with a community at Celebrate Recovery and the recovery ministry we have here with community, with God, with scripture. And there was a moment where God met him and released him finally of his bitterness and forgiveness. And as an older man, he came to me almost in tears saying, you'll never guess what happened this week. I've been working on this forever and God has released me. How can that happen? Because the third point is true forgiveness only comes from God. It's the only real source of forgiveness. That's it. We can muster it best we can, but forgiveness, true forgiveness, only comes from God. The ability to truly forgive and let go only comes from a power that's outside of ourselves. Jesus came to this earth, fully God and fully human, on a mission to give life so that people would place their faith in Jesus and would be forgiven and released of the debt of their sin, just like in the parable. So what? So that they could be able to be released and forgive others. The Apostle Paul says it this way. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the domain, the earth, the Genesis 4.24 of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus whom he loves. And in Christ, we have redemption. And in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. I would say the very center point of a Christian faith is forgiveness. And Jesus demonstrated that every moment of his life when you read about his life in scripture. But he demonstrated even more powerfully at some of his very last moments. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross, being tortured, being put to death. And some of his last words as he's in that vulnerable state, he looks out over the people that are actually doing this to him. And I want you to put yourself there. Because if your enemies were there putting you to death, would you say these words? And this is his prayer to everyone that he looked out over and all people and all generations. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The very core of the Christian faith, the very heart of Jesus is a heart of forgiveness. That is powerful. And I could imagine some of the soldiers, some of the people sitting there and they're hearing that in their earshot of he's what did he say? Forgive them, What? Are you kidding me? What are you talking about forgiveness? I would imagine that people's lives were changed just by those words. That's the radical nature and the heart of God. I love what Klein Snodgrass, I didn't make that word, that name up. His is really his, his name. He's an author. He's written a great book about parables that a number of us here have read. He says this about this parable. The message of this parable is badly needed by churches and individuals who live in a society where people insist on standing on the rights and division marks our churches, families, and societies. The teaching of the parable is counterintuitive, but it is possibly the most forceful expression of how Christians and Christ followers should live. Christian living, rather than insisting on rights, should be a continual dispensing of mercy and forgiveness, mirroring God's own character and treatment of his people. Think about that. When we forgive, we're mirroring God to the world. By the way, we are supposed to be image bearers and bear that image to the world. And when we forgive, we're mirroring God's heart to the world. True forgiveness really comes only from God. And then the last one is this. Forgiveness leads to freedom. 
You can leave those four up there too when you get them up there. So I'd love you to take a picture of them if you can. But forgiveness leads to freedom. You can take a picture of these and hold those this week. Hold on to them. I don't know how many of you did this in elementary school. I know I did. Maybe even some of you do it now. But how many of you have played tug of war? And when we were little kids, we played tug of war in elementary school. And many times you'd do it with teams, but then you would sometimes do it with individuals. And you take that rope and the best tug of wars were the ones that had a mud pile or something, some consequence that if you lost, it was going to be absolute humiliation. And so you would dig your heels in and you'd face off with this person and you'd grab that rope and you would dig your heels and pull as hard as you could. And there'll be so much tension on that rope and so much tension on your face. And that was your enemy and you're not going to lose and you're going to go through that. You know what freedom from forgiveness is? It's when you're in that moment with someone and you let go of the rope. Now, it would be funny. The person would probably fall over. But when you let go of the rope, guess what happens? That rope has no power, has no tension. Now, that other person may hold on to the rope, and they may use it like a whip in other things. That's fine. They can do what they want to do. But forgiveness is that moment when we release that rope and we let go. And the slack is there, and the tension is gone. I want to tell you something. The evil of this world and the darkness of this world live off division, tension, bitterness, unforgiveness, the kingdom of the world. Lives off of it. It lives off that tension between two people. That's where it gains its life. That's the oxygen of that world. But forgiveness is the oxygen of the kingdom of God. And when that happens, guess what happens? There's profound freedom that happens. So I walk into this therapist's office. This sounds like a bad joke. And I stand right, so I have three sessions with this person, this beautiful man. And the second session, he says to me, go home and write a letter about everything you think about this person. And I said, okay. And I went home and what did I do? I didn't do it. I don't wanna do it. But the morning came of my last session and I sat down at the table around 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And within probably 30 minutes, I wrote 2,500 words like that. I didn't really look it over. <laughs> I didn't spell check it. I just put it in my pocket and I went to my session. I walk into the session and I kind of hand this note to him. And I say, here's your letter. And he hands it back to me and he says, good, sit down and read it to me. I was like, oh, Lord. So I sit down and I start reading this letter. I was like, man, I don't know what this guy's going to think of me when this thing's done. So I read this letter and I got to the last paragraph. And though I had only wrote it a few hours before, maybe two hours before, I didn't even know what I wrote the last paragraph really until I started reading it. And tears came to my eyes. I looked at it this week for the first time in all these years. And this is a snippet of what I wrote. Though I struggle with all these issues with you, the person that I had this tension with, and I have many examples to prove my position, which I did. I have reached a place in my life where I realize it does not matter. God has revealed in me that I have many things to work out in my own life. He's also convicted me of the many struggles and he's starting to release me from you. Finally, God spoke to me on a service a while back when the speaker said, if you claim God is your king and you live in his kingdom, you forfeit your rights to bitterness and unforgiveness because forgiveness is the oxygen of God's kingdom. I'm working on forgiving you. I have some ways to go. Remember, forgiveness is a process. 
But I'm praying that God helps me let go and not give you power over me. I know someday will guide me into, God will guide me into full freedom and forgiveness for all the things I perceive you have done to me and others. But until that day, I'm committing to working on my own stuff, which I have much work to do. I had tears coming down my eyes when I read that because it caught me off guard. I didn't realize that God was speaking to me even in my anger, in my bitterness. The therapist says, what do you think about this person now? What do you think God thinks about him? I said, well, I think he's a good man and God loves him. He said, give me your letter. I gave him his letter. He tore it up into little pieces and threw it away. In that moment, it was as if bitterness and it just vanished, just went away. I left there free. Scripture says it very clearly. If Jesus has set someone free, they are free indeed. If Jesus sets them free, you are free indeed. One of the great superpowers that Jesus offers as we give our lives to him and we start to follow him, one of the superpowers that he hands us is this ability to actually forgive others. I wanna make something clear. Forgiveness is not just like this. Some of you have some of the deepest wounds from years and years and years. And forgiveness is a process. And God's inviting you into that process. And it could be hours, days, weeks, months, years, or it could be a lifetime. But at some point, as you take one step after the other, and you walk in the ways of God, and you move closer and closer to God, you know what God says to Hand me those things. Let go of your rope. And let me walk you into a different reality. We have a powerful story. This is that moment if you want to have at home or even here where you feel like this may not be appropriate for your kids. Uh, this is the story. Story about Catherine. Catherine, I just want to tell you, uh, she's sitting in this area here. I, you, you are courageous uh, to share this story. Courageous. I, I do want to care for people in our audience that are watching and in this room as well. There are uh, talk uh, in this story about abuse and especially among our women of our congregation in our world. Statistically, it's disgusting how many women have encountered some of these things. And so I don't want this video to be a trigger for you. So I wanna tell you now that there's some of that in here. I wanna care for your heart, but I think it's worth everything to listen to the journey that Catherine was on as God pushed her through what would seem like an impossible situation. Let's watch. I thought my childhood was normal because I didn't see other families because my parents, they're arguing their fights, the violence and my dad's abuse to me, they kind of sheltered us from other families, even cousins. I didn't see that. And the only cousins I did see were abused by their parents as well, because um, it would have been my dad's siblings. So yeah, I thought it was a normal life growing up. I thought that's how it was supposed to be. It took me into my teens to realize this wasn't normal, but we were really scared all the time. I can't tell you too many comfortable moments of my childhood. There was a lot of fighting with my parents. And then when they'd fight, my dad would make my mom leave and go somewhere and leave us kids. And my dad would abuse me then sexually. And I was young. And that went on and on for years. And my dad, as we grew, you know, different your body's different, you're older, so he would try different things. And so 
it was mostly fear growing up. I had a lot of fear. I was very scared to talk to anyone because I didn't want anyone else to see what was going on. Early 20s of then just allowing men to hurt me. I thought that was normal again. Again, I could tell horrific stories of boyfriends and the things they did and I allowed because I thought it was okay. And it wasn't until the man that I married the first time I had gotten pregnant, and when I was pregnant with her, my first daughter, I um, got into recovery meetings because I knew I needed it because my ex-husband was a drug addict. It wasn't because I thought I needed it because of the abuse. It was because I thought my drug addict husband had problems and I could fix them. So I went to meetings to fix him, and in reality, I found that I needed help just as much as him. That's when I learned hurt people hurt people. Nonetheless, I kept going to those meetings for recovery for me. And it was probably, I would say about 2010, that I realized I needed to forgive my dad. And they lived with me for a while. And I can't tell you that it was like, poof, I forgave him. That's just crazy in my head. I wanted to, I wanted it to be that easy. And I did tell my dad, once that I forgave him and he screamed at me. And that makes it so you want to justify, oh, see, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. We didn't embrace, we didn't hug, there weren't any sparks. It wasn't like, I forgive you and everything was great. No, there were still times where I wanted to take back my forgiveness because while he was mean, he was really mean, I wanted to just take back my forgiveness, but that's not what God wanted. And so I continue to release it to him. And, you know, only because I went to celebrate recovery and had the tools and the people, every time I felt like oh, I'm not forgiving, I'd call someone and I forgave him. It had been one of the best years ever this last year. And my dad died October 26th. And though I'm sad, I really am. I know that if this had happened 10 years ago, <laughs> I would not feel like I feel. I wouldn't have been sad about my dad being gone, maybe angry. I would have been angry. There would have been just so many different feelings that I'm feeling right now, but I'm grateful. I am so grateful that my dad and I had a relationship and that we had a good last year you know, when it came to that point of realizing that my dad had been hurt, and it wasn't because he told me, his, I knew that my dad was abused. It was when God revealed to me how often when people are hurt, that they hurt other people in different ways. And so that I realized, you have to let go of this anger you have to let go of this unforgiveness because your dad is walking around like that too. That's why he is who he is. He's walking around with all this hurt, all this baggage. I don't want to be that person anymore. I forgive people as quickly as I can now because I'll hurt people in the process if I don't. We have what's called a step study in CR and I went through that and you dig deep and I really got to see the baggage <laughs> that I was carrying around. You know, it was literally like trash bags of hurt and pain and 
but it wasn't until I was sitting there at those meetings and seeing other women who had gone through similar situations, you're never gonna have exactly the same, that I realized I can do this. I can get through this and I can forgive my dad and I can have a better life and my life is great now. I have a wonderful husband, wonderful children. I have a great relationship with my ex-husband. I had a great relationship with my father in the end, but if I didn't have the tools from my 12-step program, if I didn't have the accountability partners, I would not, I would not have done it. I wouldn't have done it. I still would have probably been drinking and partying and a miserable mess if I would have been alive. And I would have missed so much because I do think it's important to get rid of the baggage, to get rid of our hurts and our habits and our hangups and work the program. I might cry today, you might see tears, but they're tears because I miss my dad and I'm human. Not tears because I'm sad that I forgave him. They're tears of happiness that I forgave him. I want that for everyone. No truer words could be said at the end of that video. I want that for everyone. I will echo you a thousand times over, Catherine. Yes, I desire that. God desires that for every single human being to be set free in that and make that step of a journey. You know what hit me this time? And I'm going to speak over there because that's where you were before. But Catherine, you know what hit me in this one? You, by those decisions and by stepping into that hard work, and you've heard me say this over and over and over the two decades I've been here, the most important work you'll ever do in your life is the work that will never be seen by a human being. It's the work that you do on your heart, mind, and soul that is only done in community with God and community with others. You never get a degree for it. No will ever give you a high five for it. But in your life, it'll show up. Why? Because it's the very things of our core of our being, our heart. Scripture says what in our heart is what overflows into our life. And the very work that you did on your heart, you know what happened? You changed a legacy, a trajectory of a family's life. That's what God did through you. You are a powerful leader. And the idea that you come up and share such a vulnerable story, thank you. Thank you for that vulnerability and thank you for a beautiful parable, a real life, it's not a made up story, a real life story of Jesus working in a powerful way. I would encourage you, anyone that has walked in today with a hurt or habit or a hang up, this bitterness, this kind of festering in your heart, this unforgiveness, just take a step. That's why we do things like celebrate recovery. You know, when we think about recovery programs, we always think about it in terms of addiction. But the fact of the matter is, percentage-wise, it's only about 30% of the people that come to celebrate recovery is about addiction. Everything else is hurts, having hang-ups that all of us have. And the minute you step into that, so I would encourage you. I would also encourage you that uh, we have a hotline too. So if you're in this community or you're listening online or if you hear my voice weeks later, uh, and I don't know if we threw that up or not, I haven't been paying attention, but there's a hotline you can call if you need help right away. And so come up to any of us. We'll give you that. We'll, we'll give you those things. You can take a picture of that. Uh, if you're in crisis right now, do that. But, but I'm telling you, if you can take a step this week. So when you leave here today and you walk out in the lobby, what we're going to ask you to do is walk out in the lobby, walk to the hub. We've got people. Catherine will be out there. Uh, she's offering herself this week. And uh, others that will you be able to talk to and say, hey, this is my situation. If we need a private room, we'll get it for you. But we'll push you into this idea of making a step. Because as we step... And as we receive forgiveness and as we actually give forgiveness, it's the oxygen of the kingdom of God and expands. 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing one last song to put an exclamation point on this. It's a beautiful song about the reckless love of God. I've never really liked that phrase, the reckless love of God, because I don't think God is reckless. But I love the feeling of how God's unbelievable, unconditional, sacrificial love is at the very core of forgiveness. And so we're going to sing that. So I'm going to invite you to stand and sing if you're able. And then afterwards, uh, you heard Andrew say this, but after the end of this song, we're going to ask everyone on stream and in this room if you would stay in this room because I want to share my heart, a little update about our campus and about the future of Kensington. So I just ask that you would stay if you could uh, until the very, very end of the service. But let's sing these words out as a prayer.
Thank you, thank you, Lord, for your agape love, your sacrificial love, your reckless love, your crazy love that would draw people to yourself, that you would actually pull them into that love, Lord, that would give them the power and the confidence to look at the deeper parts of their heart, mind, and soul and let you examine that and release. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for this community. We thank you for the work that you are doing, especially the work that we never see Thank you, Lord, in advance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you wouldn't mind, if you can stay, would you have a seat? Uh, and let me share my heart a little bit. If you're online, we'd love you to stay there as well. When I walked through these doors in 2000, uh, I came into this door, these doors in this place, as a professional artist, musician, practicing Buddhism, searching for deeper truth. And I came into this place with a heaviness on my soul and a darkness in my heart. You guys have heard me for many years talk about my struggle with depression, anxiety, and I've been very open about that. And, and so that's been a big part of, of my journey. And some of you know that underneath that exit sign, Easter 2000, there was a, that I met God in a profound way. And I actually had a really miraculous healing in that moment where the very depths and the very heights of an anxiety and depression left me forever. It doesn't mean that depression and anxiety left me. In fact, I think it's the thorn in my side that I'll always have, like Paul. It's always a little bit there for me, but it's been a journey to walk through all of that. And it was miraculous what happened. And over the years, my family got to meet Jesus, our, some of our extended family. Uh, I came on staff in 2004. I've been on staff for almost 18 years. Uh, I've been able to travel around the world. I've been able to go to the mountains of Nepal, the barrios of Honduras. Whew. 
2005, met our daughters in Honduras on our first mission trip. Our, became, our family went from four to seven real quick. It was an incredible journey. I've been in the streets of Brazil, the streets of Palestine, and Israel. It's been incredible to see God work in so many different kinds of leaders, so many different kinds of spaces. What's been fascinating for me is how God speaks to individuals in these moments. And so there's been thousands of moments I've been able to hold hands and pray with you and for you. I've been on the bedside when people take their last breaths, and I've been there. Sometimes uh, there was a couple years that they have a miracle child that came into the world, and I got to be there in some of his first breaths. I've done tons of funerals and tons of weddings. I've been there in the moments of happiness and grief, and it has been one of the pleasures of my life. But all throughout that, it's amazing how God speaks. I don't know how God speaks to you. You know, sometimes we use that language kind of casually. But for me, I'll explain to how I think God speaks to me. He always gives me a phrase in my mind that I wouldn't normally have in my mind. You know, so something will pop up in the most crazy moments. And I'll be able to say, oh, what is that? You know, and then I'll process with God. So about eight or nine years ago, I was sitting in this area here. I realized last service that I always talk about this area right here. This is where all the, the moments happen. So I just want to let you guys know that this is the most spiritual part of the auditorium. <laughs> all these people over here are lesser than you, but you are the spiritual ones, you know. But so much has happened right there. And about eight or nine years ago, I'm there, and, and, and it's, it's similar to what we just did. We were standing, and we were singing, and I think I had tears, and I had my eyes closed, and I could see it like it was yesterday. And I'm, and I'm so close. I feel like I'm so close to God, and I can hear everyone singing around me. And, I, and, and out of nowhere, this phrase, you're done, pops into my mind. And I stop. You're done. Like, you ruined the moment. God, what are you saying? What is that? I was in a great moment. What do you mean I'm done? I'm done with what? I'm done with this. I'm done with that. I'm done with this. What are you saying to me? Nothing. Just silence. I remember leaving there a few days later. I called a friend of mine. I said, hey, this happened. And I don't know what it is. And he goes, oh, you know what? That same thing happened to me. Let me tell you my story. So he tells me this story. And he says, listen, this is my advice to you. Take what you heard and keep walking. And as you walk, just keep asking God what he meant. So that's what I've been doing for the last nine years, eight years. So a couple years after that, I'm here in the most spiritual part of our auditorium, and the same thing happened to me. Boom, you're done. Same phrase, out of nowhere. I thought, what are you saying to me? And then from that moment on till this day, it's just been one thing after another. All kinds of things have happened. And you know what happened last year, a couple years ago. Uh, in, in 2000, uh, March 1st of 2000, the elders asked me if I would be the interim leader, uh, interim executive pastor. And I was put into place in leadership in, in March two, uh, 2020. rather. And in that moment, you know what happened two weeks later. <laughs> a pandemic hit and all heck broke loose. And, uh, and I was leading behind the scenes until we made it public in July of that year. And it was just a crazy ride. And I'm so grateful for the executive team and the, and the elders and the leaders at that time because uh, it was beautiful to be first among equals during a time of succession and pandemic and social and civil unrest and all the things that you guys know uh, went with that. It was a beautiful time to lead, but it was really a team. And the teams were incredible. And so thank you for the executive team and the elders and everyone that took part in everyone in every campus. It was just a privilege of my life. And then the spring of this past year, they asked me if I would apply for the permanent position of uh, next permanent leader of Kensington. So I did. And we went through a long interview with the elders. And at the end of that phase, they let me know that I was not going to be the choice for that. They passed on me for that. And that was fine. Uh, both Amy and I, if you know us well, and some of you do, uh, you know that we're really not about position. 
Uh, we never have been. We've never been about a position. We've never been about any of those kinds of things. Maybe because I spent so many years as a poor musician, I don't care. You know, uh, I, I don't know. But I spent a lot, you know, so, so they passed on that. And, but they asked if, if I would stay on as permanent uh, or as interim leader until we get the next permanent leader of Kensington. So we prayed that week. And that was on a Monday. On that Friday, uh, Amy and I decided no. Uh, we didn't want to keep doing two full-time jobs at that time. And, and, we, did, and we, we went to them and said, no, we're going to pass on the interim uh, leader position. We'll continue to do lead pastor Troy and elder position and executive team. And Jim Mays took over. And Jim Mays, if you don't know Jim, he's kind of behind the scenes. He's an incredible leader, great friend. It's been a joy to follow his leadership. And it really, really wonderful. But something happened after I made that decision. I don't know when it was. Maybe it was a day, maybe it was two days, I don't know. Maybe I was sitting over there, I don't know. But God said to me for the third time, you're done. But he added something this time. He said, do you know what I mean now? And for the first time in my life, I knew what he meant. It wasn't about a job, it wasn't about this position, it wasn't about anything other than something that God wanted to reveal to me in a deeper part of my heart and soul. And it was incredible. I shared with my wife what I felt like God was saying to me. And for the last six months, we've been going through a journey that's just been amazing. Incredible to see what God has revealed. But when I got to December, I called up Mike Carnell, who's one of our lead elders. And I said, Mike, it's time for me to resign from Kensington and step away. And so he said, no, it's not. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he said, okay. And we processed in January. And then uh, last week I turned in my resignation and I'm gonna step away from Kensington. And here's what I want you to know. Uh, I love this community with all my heart. I really do. I love you. Uh, these past 22 years have been incredible. It's been an incredible time to watch. And so I'm grateful uh, for this community. Uh, I'm going to be here for another month. Uh, I'm gonna, my last day is March 6th. And so I'm not just going to run out the door today and you'll never see me. I'll be here for another month. And, of course, I'm always available. But uh, So if you'd like to grab a, a, something to eat or you want to talk, you want to have this, I would love, to, I love that. But I'm going to be stepping down as lead pastor. I've already stepped out of my roles as an elder and as an executive team um, member. But I love you guys. I'm grateful for that. Uh, let me give you just a little bit of what's going to happen at this campus, just so it's clear. Um, during this month of February, Andrew Kim and um, Rivette, our campus director, they're going to lead uh, in their respective camps and, and be able to help us lead uh, through all this. And then in March, when I step down officially on my last day, uh, Steve Andrews is going to come and he's going to join them. And the trio of them are going to lead all the way until the next permanent leader of Kensington is announced and made official. And then that leader will decide who the next permanent leader in Troy is going to be. And so you're in good hands with the people, but I just want to tell you I love you. And I'm grateful. And then I think uh, Mervette and uh, Andrew are going to come up and pray. So. I think one of the things that we want to acknowledge is how, so you can, you can have a seat, um, how so many of us are feeling, how I continue to feel, and a sense of shock for some of us who didn't see it coming, right? A sense of deep sadness um, and loss. And, um, and this is what I want to say. This is I thought about this, and probably won't cry. This one, maybe I will. I actually had a donut in between uh, services. That'll help you. Yeah, I tried to actually <laughs> eat away my feelings. Maybe some of you are like that as well. Um, but I think one of the things that I want to say is I want to say thank you um, because you know this. I've said this to you before. And um, one of the things that you may see about it, you stand up here on the stage 
and you and Amy and your incredible family, you guys have shared your lives with us for 22 years and you've led us so well. Um, and I said this in the first service, is that you are probably the most courageous leader I've ever seen in that making hard decisions. You've led us into areas that other people wouldn't have led, wouldn't have the courage to lead. Um, and I think one of the things is that we see Danny up here on a stage, and this is just simply a small part of what he does. And what we don't see is we don't see you um, making the hard decisions, wrestling with those, having the really hard conversations with people. Um, we don't see you, the times that you pray and all of those things. And the you don't myriad. see the times that I swear. <laughs> and those times too. <laughs> But we don't see that. And this guy, and I honestly thought when I came here, I thought I was um, a hard worker. And then I met Danny. And then I was thinking, you know what, I'm just mediocre at best. <laughs> um, but he is, he, when he says he truly has left everything um, here and given all of himself, um, you truly have. Mm. And I'm grateful to call you my friend. I'm grateful to call you my boss. I'm grateful to have journeyed together for four years. And it's been an incredible, incredible time. Okay. And so, thank you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Um, yes, all of those and more. So, uh, funny, he, we're talking about feelings, and as we went to the lobby after the first service, everybody was sharing their feelings, and some people started out with anger, some people started out with grief, some people said, I'm not going to look at you in the eyes. So there was a lot of different feelings uh, going on, so that was, that was interesting, and I know for me personally, and I know for our staff, there's been several, already been through acceptance, denial, and sadness, so we've gone through three already in a few weeks, so um, I know that this is a journey that we're all going to be on together, uh, hopefully as, and, and Danny will be in the lobby, Andrew and I will be in Amy, please come out and uh, share, let's talk, let's process this together and go through the grief and the joys and the celebrating together over the next, um, you know, uh, next month, and we'll have an opportunity to celebrate Danny as well, but in truth, in truth, if we're honest, you know, that same um, drummer, musician that came 20 years ago who God met here underneath the exit signs and rocked his world and rerouted his life. Um, and he followed Jesus is the same man who's standing here today who God is rocking his world, rerouting his stage, his life, and saying, follow me again. And yeah. if we're honest, if we're honest, as painful as this is, we want our leaders to do this. And we want that to model the courage for us to do the same. Because God's going to do the same thing to you. And uh, this is a model. So it's hard. Um, but we're going to glean courage um, and grief and all those things. Yes, we love Danny. Um, is Amy going to come up so we can pray? We'd oh, love yeah, to pray. Let's, let's pray. Um, and as Amy comes up, um, it's going to be a... Yeah. You get both services. This is... <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You, you weren't going to get out of this. Yeah. <laughs> you knew that. I know. Amy hates this. I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll definitely get some words when we get home about this. Point. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. This is as hard for our staff as it is for everybody else hearing this today. And um, I mean, just personally, and Basil and I, I can't forget the day that you called me and I was in the hospital with Basil running down the hallway in Boma and, mm. and I was freaking out. Um, and you came running to the hospital for him. That will never leave me. So personally, professionally, having a seat at the table to be campus director, probably not qualified to be here. But no, that is all Danny, you know, that is all Danny in the leadership. So we're grateful for that. I want to just pray right now for Danny and Amy, um, and uh, we'll, we'll give this time to the Lord. 
Father God, we are just so grateful for Danny and Amy's life. We're grateful for what you did, Father God, in his life. We're grateful that you um, chased after him, Father God, and you got him to follow you. And we're grateful that you're still doing that today, Father God. And we're grateful that you who began a good work in Danny and Amy, you're not done until Danny and Amy go home or until you come. So we're, we're believing that we're surrendering them to you, Father God, as painful as this is. We ask for your comfort, for your healing, um, that we would come together as a community during this time and we would comfort each other and be consoled by you, the great counselor, Father God, and um, receive your peace and comfort and joy during this time as we remember uh, stories and share stories. Father God, we ask uh, you guide Danny and Amy into that quietness and lead them to the next journey. Um, and we ask this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 And um, as we head out today, as we head out today, if you heard anything, if you were impacted by anything in this message today, anything about what um, was mentioned in the video struck your heart, please, please come talk to our prayer team. They're here in the, and also in the lobby and the hub. Um, we have some members of our CR team. Please come and talk. And we'll just take a journey. And then come back for midweek so we can worship together this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And then next week as we celebrate the big game and have a little fun together. So we'll see you then. Go in peace. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.